Jonah chapter 4, you can find it in the church Bible on page 1443. But to Jonah this seems very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by feeling to Tashish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah has gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it will wither. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Isn't it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or made it grow. It sprung up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great seed of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Uh, thanks, Caesar. Good evening, everyone. Great to see you all here tonight. Uh, my name is Dal. I'm one of the pastors here. And a special welcome if you're visiting us tonight. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to page 1443. And please remember there'll be a time for questions after the talk. Uh, it's a strange chapter, isn't it? Uh, as Dean said earlier, it would seem proper for the story of Jonah to end at chapter 3. Because at the end of chapter 3, you know, we're thinking, hey, everything's turned out well, uh, the Ninevites have uh, been saved, it's a happy ending, start rolling the credits. But that's not the case. There's this whole new other chapter, and we're left with a very weird ending. Well, before we get into Jonah 4 tonight, let's pray and ask for God's help tonight as we look at his word. Will you please join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, that, and we thank you for this time now that we can hear you speak. Please help me to explain your word clearly tonight and we pray that as we look at this strange chapter, we pray that you help us understand what's going on in Jonah's heart, what's going on in your heart, and what's going on in our own hearts. 
please prepare us now to hear your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A short-sightedness. Uh, it's something that afflicts most of us. I wonder, how many of us here in this room actually have myopia, short-sightedness? Can I ask you to put your hand up if you actually have? Yes, there's a few of you. Okay. A little less than half. Put your hands down. Yeah, now here's the thing. For me, my eyes are really bad. And I actually would say that I think I've got, I reckon I've got the worst eyes in our church family. For some people, their myopia rating is maybe a minus 2 or minus 3. I'm a minus 10. Uh, To get you a feel for what minus 10 vision is like, uh, if I was to read this sign here without my glasses, I would actually have to read it uh, this close. That's how bad my sight is. I know it's pretty bad, isn't it? I just thank God... That he created the glasses. Because I don't know where I'll be without them. I reckon definitely I'll be more battered and bruised than what I currently am. But thank God for glasses. But you know, whether we wear glasses or not, we all can get short-sighted when it comes to God's big plan for our world. You see, we can be so short-sighted that we actually have, can have myopia, where we just focus what's just in front of us, which in most cases is our own plans. And in the end, that can stop us from being passionate about what God is passionate about. Have there been times when you just don't feel like sharing your faith with others? Now, it could be because you're tired, or you might have a fear of not knowing what to say, or you're concerned about what people might think about you. Regardless of what stops us from sharing our faith, what we will see in Jonah chapter 4 tonight is how we can get realigned to see the world the way God sees it. And when we put on the glasses of God's word, all things will come into sharper focus and we'll see why we need to be involved in God's mission of telling people about Jesus. Uh, Tonight we're going to see three things. Firstly, we're going to see Jonah's anger. Then secondly, uh, we'll see Jonah's lesson. And then finally, Jonah and us. Uh, But let me first recap the story so far of what we've seen throughout this book of Jonah. Uh, Chapter 1, God tells Jonah to preach to Nineveh. That's there in the green dot there. But instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah runs away to Tarshish. He's right there. But through sending a great storm and a great fish, God brings Jonah back to Joppa. And there God repeats his command again to Jonah to preach to Nineveh. And this time he goes. And after preaching a five-word sermon, the whole city of Nineveh repents. And God has compassion on them, where instead of sending judgment, he sends mercy. Now you think that Jonah would have been thrilled out of his mind of how the Ninevites responded. 
Because anyone would give their right hand to have that type of success, whatever vocation you have. But no. Instead, Jonah is angry. And that Gadol word that we learnt in this series, the word that means great, a huge, gigantic, it's used to describe Jonah. You see, Jonah is Gadol angry. Jonah is so angry. He's fuming. He's seeing red. And we find out all this time, Jonah was hoping that his hearers wouldn't repent. Uh, please have a look at, with me at verse 2. Verse 2 says this. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, Take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And what we see here is Jonah's reason for running away in the first place. It's not that the task of preaching to Nineveh was daunting. That he just simply didn't want the Ninevites to be saved because they were so wicked. As I said a few weeks ago, the Ninevites were the most bloodthirsty people of the Middle East at that time, where they would skin their victims alive, where they would wear the skulls of their victims around their necks. But the thing is, Jonah, he knows God's character. He knows that God is loving and compassionate, and he didn't want the Ninevites to be shown God's mercy, and that's why he's angry with God. How would you feel if a convicted murderer got out and killed someone again, this time someone from your own family? Could you imagine that person becoming a Christian? How would you feel if God would have compassion on someone like that? Well, that's how Jonah is feeling. Now God questions Jonah in verse 4. He says in verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? But Jonah doesn't answer. He ignores the question. But check out what he does instead. Please check out verse 5 with me. Verse 5 says this. Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Uh, Jonah's hoping that God will change his mind and rain down fire from heaven to burn up the Ninevites. So that's why he sets up that little spot to watch the fireworks. But then God gives Jonah an object lesson, which is our second point. Uh, please check out verse 6 with me. It says this. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Uh, five verses ago, Jonah was really angry. And now right here, 
He's really happy. And again, that gadol word is used here. Jonah is gadol happy. All because of a leafy plant growing on his pergola. He's just like a big kid. It's tantrum one second, jumping for joy the next. But then check out what happens to the plant in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It will be better for me to die than to live. Again, we see God's sovereignty over all creation here, where God commands the plant, the worm, the east wind to teach Jonah a lesson. Now, because his beloved leafy plant is dead, well, Jonah is angry again, angry enough to die. And then God explains the object lesson to Jonah to actually show how much of a petulant child he is. Not to mention how short-sighted he is. Please have a look at verse 10 and 11 with me. Verse 10 says this. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? and also many animals. Jonah had such a compassion for the plant that he thought it was wrong of God to kill it. But if it's not right for an insignificant plant to be struck down by God's judgment, well, how can it be right for Nineveh to be struck down? Uh, God's showing Jonah how inconsistent he is that in the end, Jonah doesn't have any right to be angry about God's mercy to the Ninevites. It is such a stark contrast between God and Jonah. God's compassion about things of lasting significance, like people, while Jonah's getting worked up over the little things. And that's the thing. People are more important than plants. But how about us? Are we much different from Jonah? No, it may not be plants, but do we get caught up with the things that are here today and gone tomorrow? That we become short-sighted to the things that God is concerned about? You see, the problem with Jonah is that he doesn't want God's mercy to be extended to others that he doesn't approve of. He's happy for God's grace to be shown to himself, but not to people he thinks don't deserve it. But the irony of all this is, God, Jonah himself doesn't deserve it. Do you notice how God is treating Jonah in this chapter? Yeah, because Jonah, had, you know, he chucks this dummy spit, 
that God could have said to Jonah, Hey Jonah, I had it up to here with you. And God could have just zapped him there and then on the spot. But God's patient with Jonah. God's loving Jonah. And he's being just as compassionate to Jonah as he is to the Ninevites. And you know what? God's doing the same thing to us as well. And that brings me to our last point. You see, because of our sin, none of us deserve God's love. In God's eyes, we're all like that convicted murderer. Now, you might think, hey, that's a little bit harsh to say. But the fact is, God sees sin as sin. But the big thing is, God is compassionate and will show mercy to anyone who repents, no matter who they are. And the reason why God can show such mercy is because he did the one thing that could make that mercy possible. He sent his only son to die on a cross so that the judgment that we deserved was put on Jesus instead. Jesus took the hit so that we don't have to. So if you're here tonight and you haven't experienced God's mercy yet, then know that God is offering to you tonight His mercy. And all you have to do to receive His mercy is to ask God to forgive you, to trust in Jesus as your King and Saviour, and to repent. So please, don't put it off. Don't leave here tonight without doing something about it. If you have any questions or you want to chat to someone, please make sure you chat to myself or Peter M. or Carmen later on tonight. And if you're here and you have received God's mercy, well, then the implications of Jonah 4 for us is that we're to have God's compassion for his kingdom to grow. And I reckon it's going to affect us in four ways. Firstly, it means that we're to be compassionate to people who we don't like. Are there times when you felt like Jonah, where you've disliked someone so much that you think, yeah, hey, I'm never going to talk to them about Jesus. It could be that backstabbing colleague at work, or that annoying next-door neighbor, or that family member that you keep on clashing with. But the thing is, we can be so short-sighted that we don't see how God sees things. How He's compassionate to everyone. We have to let God change our vision to let him overcome our natural bitterness and to let his compassion run through our hearts and when we do that we'll see them differently and we'll seek to share Jesus with them but secondly where to be compassionate to people we actually do like because you know our short sightedness can actually be with them as well You see, you might think that your friends don't need the gospel. 
because they seem so happy already. They seem to have everything all together. They got the good job, the nice house, the happy family. It all seems like the gospel could be an intrusion on their lives. I reckon here, living here in the, in the West, we're surrounded by people who live like that. I imagine most of your friends are like that, where their need for the gospel doesn't seem obvious. And because like, you're, they're your friends, you might not want to talk to them about the gospel because it might change the relationship. It could make them treat you differently. But the thing is, what we see here in Jonah 4, we've got to see things from God's perspective. Not from our perspective. Because everyone needs Jesus. Whether you like them or not. And we're not to let our short-sightedness stop us from seeing what's really important. Oops. Sorry. Thirdly, are we to be compassionate to people beyond where we live? Now, since God is the God of all people, His desire is for everyone on this planet to know Jesus. And, peop- and God wants people to get up and leave where they are to preach to Nineveh. Can I ask you, would you be willing to go to a place where the gospel influence isn't as strong so that you can be used to grow God's kingdom there? Would you be willing to do that so that people who haven't heard the gospel before can come to know Jesus? Could you do that? Well, if God hasn't called you to do that just yet, can I say he's definitely called you to support those who have. And for our church family here at Abbotsford, we actually support a number of people who have made it their full-time vocation to preach the gospel beyond where we live. So we have people like uh, Ben and Lorian, who are our gospel partners in East Asia. We have the Holy Family, who are working amongst Muslims here in Sydney. And we've got the Gunnings, who are in South South Australia. And we also have Chris and Ali Coffey here tonight. Chris was the guy on guitar tonight. And they're preparing in the next year or so to actually be part of the Mission Aviation Fellowship, or MAF, which is a ministry that seeks to bring God's word to remote areas of the world. And all these people need support partners, people who both pray and give financially so they can do their their work. So if God has provided the means for you to do so, well, please consider being a support partner to one or all of these families so that God's kingdom can keep growing in places where we can't physically be. Finally, where to be compassionate to people 
in the place where God has placed us now. Because here's the thing we need to remember. We actually live in Nineveh as well. Our city of Sydney is just as godless, is just as wicked as Nineveh. And according to the stats of the last census in 2016, the inner west is one of the most unchurched areas in Australia. So we're part of an important mission field here. So can I say, if God hasn't called you to go anywhere else yet, and he has provided the means for you to do so, well, please consider making the long-term plan to stay here. Because there's great gospel needs here too. Are there big needs in workplace evangelism, in teaching scripture in our local schools, and in particular, our K-Central Day that's happening in a few weeks' time, where kids from our wider community come on site and we can share the gospel with them without hindrance. You see, God's compassion for the lost will shape everything about us. It'll affect how we think. It'll affect how we use our time. It'll affect how we spend our money. Can I ask you, where is your life heading? Where do your energies go? Are you focused on preaching to Nineveh? Or are you running away to Tarshish? We just launched our vision a few weeks ago. And it's interesting that Jonah 4 actually articulates some key principles that underline our mission statement. Now let me show you our mission statement. It says this. We are seeking to be a Christ-centered community, dedicating our lives to loving God and others, and following the way of Jesus to reach Abbotsford and beyond for the glory of God. At the heart of our mission statement is that we're a community who follow Jesus. And part of being that is being loving, compassionate towards others. And that includes seeking to reach our mission field of Abbotsford and beyond for Jesus. In the UK, a father and son went on a fishing trip at Olverston Bay. Stuart Rushton was with his nine-year-old son, Adam, and as they walked, they became lost in thick fog. In their disorientation, they walked onto a tidal sandbar. Mr. Rushton realized that he was lost, so he called emergency services, and he told them his situation. The tide was coming in, and the sandbar was shrinking. The police were able to get close to their location and they could hear Mr. Rushton screaming for help, but they couldn't work out exactly where they were because of the fog and of the riptides. Uh, ten minutes later, a police called Mr. Rushton and the water has already risen to Rushton's chest. Five minutes later, the police call again and the water is up to Rushton's neck. Five minutes after that, the line goes dead. Two tragic deaths because of fog and riptides. 
Uh, the rescuers could hear the cries for help. But the most tragic thing about all this was the police were only a couple of meters away. They just couldn't see them because of the fog. This is a tragic story. But the far greater tragedy is that there are people wandering off to a Christless eternity. And the thing is, there is no fog. We see these people every day. Our family, our workmates, our school friends, our neighbours. These people, they desperately need Jesus. But sometimes we can get us too busy getting worked up over the little things. Sometimes we're just too busy complaining that we didn't get what we were shooting for or that what we have isn't enough. The book of Jonah, it ends on God's question to Jonah. And we're not told what Jonah does next. It's a cliffhanger. And the reason why that question is left hanging there is because it's aimed at us, the reader. How would we respond? You see, you're like Jonah. I'm like Jonah. And through this whole book, God has shown us our short-sightedness. We can now see God's concern for our world. And the question we're left with is, what are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us that you are the God who abounds in love, that you are compassionate and gracious, and that you're you're so concerned about people. Heavenly Father, we confess that times we don't share your passion. Heavenly Father, please change us so that we may be people who are driven by your compassion. Please take away our bitterness. Please take away our short-sightedness. And we pray that you'll give us the opportunities, the desire, the boldness, and the words, so that through us, people may come to know the Lord Jesus. And it's his name that we pray these things. Amen.